You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So let's hear from God's word. Stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. Acts 6 verse 8. The deacons all got ordained last week in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Stephen was one of those deacons, and then we hear in verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I can't say that I've ever seen the face of an angel, but I know one thing for sure. It's beautiful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go through life and experience the ups and downs, the triumphs and the tragedies, God, we pray that we will have the beautiful countenance of Stephen that our face, our demeanor, our words will be so filled with you, Lord Jesus, that we bring some of your beauty into this world. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Kelsey said that it took her breath away. It's not the steps. It's just preaching to you. It's an honor to preach to you, to be in front of you, and to know that God is going to do great things. I want to share with you, this isn't in the notes, this is free. I want you to know that God is calling us to be a reaching church. He's calling us to make a difference. If each one of you would share the gospel seven times in the next year, we would have 8,400 gospel conversations. That would be a beautiful thing. I think sometimes the church is trying to figure out how to maintain what it has. Let me tell you what we're doing. We're trying to figure out what God wants us to go get. And what he wants us to go get are souls. He wants us to go and share Jesus with people who are hurting. We are here to share the gospel. And I want you to know a beautiful life will change the world. Your life being beautiful will change the world. Here is Stephen, a man whose life was cut short by martyrdom, and yet we know in three different places in Acts, we see that his short life was the impetus for revival in the latter chapters of Acts. God used this man and his witness and the beautiful life he lived to change the world. We also see in this passage, though, that as much as uh, Stephen brings beauty into the picture, if you noticed, the majority of our text deals with the ugliness of the world, lies, Shifting allegiances, all the things we would expect in a world where power and malice rule the day. We see in this passage uh, perhaps the beginning of Paul's turn 
uh, away from his past and to the gospel. In fact, we know in Acts 22, 20, that the apostle Paul would be there at Stephen's martyrdom. But what most people don't realize is, is that Paul and Stephen had a long history. Chapter 6, verse 9, which I just read to you, mentioned a certain synagogue that we think that Stephen would have been a part of when he was younger, and so would have Paul. So what's interesting is, is that these two men knew each other and maybe were childhood friends. You see, God was at work in Paul's life. To turn someone like Paul in a whole new direction, it takes a mighty work of God. And that mighty work of God isn't just on the road to Damascus, but God was preparing his heart for years. Let me say this. If you go and witness, you may not make a difference today, but realize to see someone come to Jesus, each one of us need to plant the seed of the gospel. It is not always our privilege to see the person come to know Christ, but we must consistently and constantly share the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would be saved, I think, in part by Stephen's witness. Twice in scripture, Isaiah 52, 7 and Romans 10, 15, we are told how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Well, I want to tell you something. Stephen had beautiful feet. He was a beautiful man because he preached a beautiful gospel. We are told that he, like the other deacons in the early church, chapter 6, verse 5, he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we see in verse 7 of our, our chapter here today, the word of God was increasing and the disciples were multiplying. You see, that is a beautiful sight. In the church today, if I were to just poll each one of you, if you're a member of Ridgecrest, you would love to see the beautiful sight of people coming to know Jesus and this church growing week after week. God is doing a great work, but he's got a better work for us yet today. I believe he's got something better for us in the future. We just have to keep plugging along. But let me tell you, before we're going to see beautiful conversions, before we're going to have beautiful testimonies of lives changed, your life needs to change a little bit, and you need to soak in more of the beauty of Jesus. You need to be beautiful as Stephen was beautiful. Now, a beautiful gospel life is a wonderful thing, but it also has a downside, and that is this. The devil hates a gospel-filled person. The downside is, if you are beautiful in Jesus, if you are living the beautiful gospel life that we're going to talk about here today, the devil isn't going to like it. As we go out to share the gospel with our community, we will brush up against the sharp edges of a broken world. And those broken people, those broken things in the world will try to rob us of our joy and take away the beauty that God has placed within our hearts, but we must continue. We must not allow brokenness, the brokenness we will encounter in this world, uh, to keep us from being the beautiful people God has called us to be. I understand. I get it. I have studied emotional health. I have tried to work on my own emotional health for some 20 years. I understand that there are many reasons for you to be broken here today. I know there are many reasons why you're not sharing the gospel. I know there are many reasons why you are bitter. I know there are many reasons why your relationships are falling apart all around you. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to stay that way. Every bit of ugliness in your life is due to sin and the devil. And he cannot have sovereignty over you. You are in Christ your life can be beautiful. Your life can count. And you have gifts to share with us as a church and with the lost in our community. So let me just point out a few things to you this morning about Stephen, full of grace. And then we're going to finish up with the Lord's Supper today, a wonderful opportunity to consecrate ourselves for the coming season of evangelism and power that God is going to bring us. 
The first thing we see in the beautiful life of Stephen is that Stephen was full of grace. One can be gracious, but that doesn't mean it is a life marked by grace. Stephen was, we are told here, full of grace. Verse 8 tells us that, but what does it mean? Grace is a common biblical word, but I want to tell you something. It is not a common thing in this world or even in the church. A grace-filled life will stand out because it is so much more of heaven than it is of earth. When you are a truly gracious person, you will have an air about you that is different than the world. I believe what is common in this world isn't grace, but injustice. And so many of us are living as as people who are wounded by the injustices of the world instead of living in the grace that comes from another world. We all have the choice. We can sit around and talk about the things that have gone wrong, or if you are a child of God, you can build your life on what's gone right. And what's gone right is you have been saved from your sins. The cross of Jesus Christ was for you, and you have been transformed It's time to start living like the transformed people of God. Oh, it is impossible to shine with grace if you are the sort of person who's always offended, always seeing the injustices of the world, always wound up tight on the state of affairs in the world. Grace-filled people don't have time for that. They want to expend their energies on positive things. Let me say this, church, to be beautiful, we have to start investing our time and energy in beautiful things. In gospel things. And I want you to know, no matter how ugly a soul is, that soul is beautiful in the sight of God. And every time you bring a cool cup of water to a thirsty soul, every time we rescue someone from sex trafficking, which is what Kelsey was talking about earlier, every time we do a work of God that way, we are showing the world the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I'm going to say this, and some of you old Baptists ain't going to like it, And I'm going to say it anyway. The law will never lead you to dance before the Lord, but grace will. The law and trying to be perfect and better than someone else, that doesn't lead to any dancing. That just makes you a sour-faced person. Now, I don't want to recommend dancing because some of you just can't dance. (laughs) I remember as a young man, I went to a few dances and it just wasn't pretty. I knew I was a Southern Baptist pastor at my freshman dance. When I was doing this dance, I thought it was cool, and someone said I looked like Charlie Brown. That was the end. (laughs) I knew it was time to be a Baptist preacher. But I want you to know something. I don't need you to dance like you think I'm talking about dancing. I'm talking about people see that you have a light step, that grace is carrying you in such a way that people want to know what's wrong with you. It's kind of funny, my friends and I who've traveled in Ukraine, the Ukrainians look at us and say, are you guys okay? Because we think you're crazy, you smile too much. That's exactly what I'd like people in America to say of the church. That we smile too much, that our joy is contagious. Stephen had lots of things to be discouraged about. Injustice was slapping him in the face literally. It doesn't say it, but it is implied. When they grabbed him and brought him before the council, it wasn't nice. They were mean. He was being beaten. He was being cussed at, yelled at, belittled in every way. He had every reason to be upset, but there is nothing but grace in this man. He was full of grace and power no matter what came to him. Grace is unnatural in this fallen world because people fear what they do not understand. 
One scholar puts it this way, philosophy knows nothing of grace. You can have all the knowledge in the world, and I'm not saying that I have anywhere near all the knowledge in the world, but I've spent a lot of time reading and studying philosophy, and I'm going to tell you, all the philosophy I've read in the world doesn't make me near as happy as John 3.16. That one verse changes everything. John 14.6. John 10 reminding me that I can have life abundantly. I can go on and on. The Bible gives me joy, and that joy should bring grace to the table. Stephen's grace had its roots in Jesus. I want you to know that he was not gracious in and of himself. He was gracious because he was preaching what Jesus preached. Do you want to be in trouble in this world? Then preach the gospel. If you want the injustices of the world to pile up on your doorstep, preach the gospel. He was a man of grace. He was preaching grace. And he took the consequences all the way to martyrdom. Now let me say this. We all spend, uh, we all spend our time crying the blues or counting our blessings. People full of grace count blessings. I'm going to tell you, I've been a Baptist pastor for a long time. That's why I got all this gray hair up here. That's why I'm platinum blonde, baby. I've been chasing you people for 30 years. And I want to tell you something. I've heard a lot more people crying the blues in churches than counting their blessings. I've heard people complain about some of the craziest things you've ever heard of instead of counting their blessings. I sometimes think we as Baptists are looking for something to complain about before we are looking to magnify Christ. And I want to tell you, if you're full of grace, that's not the way it goes. Grace is a practical thing in the spiritual world. It's just not very practical here. And I want you to know if you are prone to complain, get over it. Because God wants you to count your blessings. A beautiful life is full of grace. A beautiful life, like Stephen, was full of power. Stephen's life was full of power. Now, how can we say that Stephen's life was full of power when this guy is literally being drugged before a council and he is soon to lose his life? There's no logic in this. It doesn't seem like he has any power. Earlier, I mentioned to you that grace is unnatural in this fallen world, but the same can be said of spiritual power. If you have spiritual power, it doesn't fit in this world. It's not quantifiable, even qualifiable in this world. Our understanding of power is completely different than what God's word says and what Jesus teaches us. Look at Jesus. He is the most, I told you he's the most beautiful person that ever walked this earth. Let me tell you something else. He was the most gracious and he was the most powerful, but he laid down his life for us. That's a different kind of power than the world is used to. The world doesn't like it when we lay down unless we're saying something they don't like. The world thinks power is standing up and standing up for yourself. But listen, we need to ask the question, if we're going to reach souls, how low will we go? How much will we serve? How much will we care? Spiritual power is just different. Divine beauty is a threat to human power. And Stephen is a man of divine beauty. I love this quote, divine beauty is a threat to human power. A Lutheran scholar, quote, uh, that's a quote from a Lutheran scholar. Um, I love the Lutherans too, they're good people. But I want you to know, divine beauty is what we need. We need in the churches, the evangelical churches of today, Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, I don't care. The world needs to see divine beauty flowing through us. Stephen, in line with the apostles, is full of grace and power. And this power gives him the ability to reach vulnerable souls like the widows in Jerusalem that we read about last week. Power to speak the gospel fearlessly as we see here, uh, we will see here in chapter 7, the longest sermon in the book of Acts. I want you to realize 
that when we love Jesus and believe in the beautiful power of the gospel, we will treasure vulnerable people. Now, you hear me using that word treasure a lot lately because we're going to share with you in August or early September what we call the treasure principles of Ridgecrest. We have prayed and prayed and prayed, and we've looked to see those things that mark us out as a unique body of Christ. And so when I say treasure, start listening because I'm talking about the, the, the meat and potatoes of who we are. But let me tell you, spiritual power causes itself to, to humble itself for the vulnerable, So we know it's spiritual power when we will put all of our eggs in the basket of those who are powerless, when we care for those who are vulnerable. It's interesting that here in this passage we see that spiritual power manifests itself in the care of widows and the preaching of the gospel. I want you to know that many times in the church today, in modern Christianity, power in the church looks just like power in the world money and influence and a a big show and entertainment almost in worship. Everything's big. Let me tell you, we as the people of God will be most beautiful when we are serving the most. We are not here to fly the banner of Ridgecrest, but of the kingdom of God. We are here to serve the people that Jesus loved and bled and died for. No more, no less. That's what power is. Stephen reminds us that those who are called to serve as deacons don't just have to be deacons. I think it's interesting in this chapter of deacons, we see here he's a preacher. He's an evangelist. You see, it's not about your title. It's about your calling. You are to share Jesus. You are to your dying day. Share the beautiful love of Jesus. Note the phrase that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people Stephen was doing great signs and wonders. Verse 8, but it's interesting. That's in the passive tense. It's not his power. Passive means the power comes from somewhere else. The power was always God's. You feel powerless in this world. I get it, but we don't need your power. We need God's power. And if you will surrender your heart to Jesus, then the power that the world will feel through you isn't your power at all. It is God's power. God's power brings beauty into our world. People need to see God's power breaking into this world, and that's where you come in. You need the power of God because spiritual power will lead to conversions. Jesus had promised in Luke 21, 15, that we would, as Christians, speak with wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. That's what Stephen is doing here because he is filled with spiritual power. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and some of you can't answer yes. Some of you can. Do you want to win souls to Jesus? Do you? I want you to think about that, because that's going to take some work. I'm asking you to work. I'm asking you to surrender. But know this, if you want to win souls to Jesus, you will be at odds with the world. What do you want more? Do you want more of God's power, or do you want peace with the powers of this world? Because you can't have both. You can have the power of God, or you can have peace with the world. I say, church, we go after the power of God for the souls of men and women, boys and girls, for the cause of the kingdom. Stephen was full of power, grace and power, and also wisdom. You know, we live in a a world full of knowledge. We have all the facts right there. It's fun now with my children. Last week, I had my 
my, uh, my son, my daughter, and their significant others, and so we were all hanging out together, and these are all, you know, I love them, they're all smart kids and everything, so we'd be talking, and if, if dad said anything, it was Googled pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, trust but verify. And I was right. I'm like, come on, I'm old and grumpy and I know things, come on, right? So anyway, that's the world we live in. We live in a world where knowledge is everywhere. You have access to all the knowledge you need, but I'm telling you, knowledge ain't going to win souls, but wisdom from Jesus will. If knowledge is wide, wisdom is deep. Remember that old song, deep and wide? Well, we need both, but we need more deep in our day. I believe today it's not a data problem that we have, it's a heart problem. And I believe we need to ask God to to heal our heart problems. I believe that God is calling us. Listen, the last COVID and all the things we've been through together the last four and a half years that I've been on duty here, we have seen a lot of things happen. We have been in a building phase. We've been in a teaching phase. We've been in a discipleship phase and all this stuff is good. But I want you to know this is not it. This is not where we want to be. We have not landed where God wants us. We need to go. We need to go and be a great commissioned church. We need to go out. We need to reach people. Listen, we have a lot of people on the church rolls that aren't coming to church. I understand that. But I want you to know this. God is calling us to reach into lostness. We can't be looking back. We better be looking ahead. God wants us to build his kingdom. And that requires us to be wise in the spirit, letting the spirit guide us. The preaching of Stephen was, uh, 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 it was the preaching of wisdom because it was the preaching of the word. We cannot be wise apart from the word. You cannot have assurance of your salvation apart from the word. Your feelings are not enough to make you assured of your salvation. But I want to tell you, God's word says, when you have given your heart to Jesus, he holds that heart, your life, in his hands, and nothing can take you out of it. We have confidence in Jesus. We have strength in his name. But I want to tell you something. Today we have too many people who are speaking their mind instead of speaking the mind of Christ. Listen to me. You will either speak your mind or you will speak the mind of Christ. And I love you, and your mind might be brilliant, but I need Jesus more than I need you. You need Jesus more than you need me. We need Jesus. It's not enough for us to go into the world with opinions. We must go with the word of God. We must stand against the powers of this world with the wisdom from God, and we must not fear. We are not going to be in line with what the world says, and that's okay. I want to go with God. I hope you do too. Man, I never have enough time, but let me just try. 1 Corinthians 2. It's a whole other sermon here, and you ain't got time for it, neither do I. And the second service is probably getting tired of me going too long. So let me just read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you turn in your Bibles if you can. I know I normally don't have you do that. You'll probably sprain one of the muscles in your finger, but we can do it. <laughs> You guys are so used to, to, to uh, scripture off the wall. I don't know if you know how to open up a Bible. All right, I think you do. <laughs> Guess what? It's on the wall. Anyway, um, <laughs> verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Notice this. Here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you the biblical definition of wisdom. What Stephen shared, but here's what Paul says in terms of definition. 
But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, and I got news for you, none of the rulers of this age understand it either. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Notice this, but it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Notice that right there. Wisdom is what? The depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So let me say it again. You can mind your own opinion, or you can have the mind of Christ. Which is it? You will speak your mind, or you will have the mind of Christ. It's interesting to me that here in the text we are told that Stephen is preaching against Moses. If you notice, Moses is put before the Lord. He's put before God. He's preaching against Moses and God. Moses is put higher, but here's what's interesting. In the longest sermon in the book of Acts that we have in chapter 7, Moses is quoted some eight times. Here's the thing. Moses is quoted eight times by Stephen because Moses was anticipating Jesus. You see, the whole Bible is connected. If you want to understand the power of Jesus, you need more than just the Gospels. Look at the whole Bible. We've been going through the Psalms on Wednesday night. You're welcome to come and be a part of that. But again and again and again, we see quotes in the New Testament that are from the Psalms. Why? Many of those quotes are quoted by Jesus on the cross. Why? Because it's all connected. The more we read the Word, the more we are full of wisdom. And as we grow in Christ, we will grow in wisdom. Beautiful, Gospel-centered people Speak Jesus. That's what we're here to do. Fourthly, we see that Stephen was spirit-filled. Now, I've already touched on this in many ways. I think that grace and power and wisdom are all part of this. But let me just summarize very quickly here that even though this idea has permeated this entire sermon, we need to consider this fact. The beautiful Christian life is the spirit-filled Christian life. We must seek the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing wrong with that. We have to have his power. If we're going to be gracious, if we're going to be wise, if we're going to have the ability to teach and preach the gospel, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts is filled to the brim with stories about the work of the Holy Spirit through his people, and I believe that means that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit giving bold preaching uh, to the apostles, to Peter, to John. Here we see it with Stephen. And these individuals are, are, are hitting above their, their batting average. Boy, I wish the Cardinals could do that. But nonetheless, they're hitting way above their batting average. These are not scholars and geniuses. These are men that are filled with the power of the Spirit. And listen to me. If you will faithfully share the gospel, you don't need your words. God will give you the words you need. That is a promise of scripture. The world will change for the better if we have more souls like Stephen in the church. A spirit-filled soul doesn't have room for pride, for malice, for sin. A spirit-filled soul just has room for Jesus. 
God can heal a broken heart and a broken arm, but I want you to know that God can do all these things. He can remove the cancer from your body. Don't limit the work of God, but know this. Those who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit are used in this beautiful dance in life where people who are lost and dying in their sins are saved and given eternal life. That's the power of the gospel. It's the power the Holy Spirit gives us. And then let us land with this. The fifth thing we see about Stephen that makes his life so beautiful is that he had the demeanor of an angel. I don't know, sometimes I've seen demeanors of angels, but they're the ones from down below, not above. In the midst of the flames of persecution, Stephen wore a smile. When you dwell in the presence of God, brother, sister, you become like an angel, filled with the glory of God. Angels are kind of like our moon in the night sky. The moon doesn't have any light of its own. It just reflects a greater glory. That's what angels do. That's what you should be doing. The world doesn't need your glory. The world needs Jesus' glory. Your light will not make the world more beautiful. God's light shining through you is what makes the world a better place, a more beautiful place. You see, what I'm asking you to do is surrender to Jesus this morning. I'm not saying do more or be more. I'm saying surrender more to Jesus. The world needs Jesus shining his light through you. Your face, your mouth, your countenance, it all can make a difference. We can have this beautiful picture of Stephen with the demeanor of an angel. It is a light that had not been seen since the time of the transfiguration there in Matthew 17. We go back and we can read that and we can see that that Jesus' face shone with the glory that was from heaven. I know that was a one-time deal, but I believe when you are at your best and you are preaching the gospel as you ought, you get a little bit of that glory shining through you. Oh, friends, we must cling to Christ so his grace and power and wisdom and glory shine forth from our face. We must suffer well for Jesus. We must give our all to Jesus. We must let God have everything. You can lead more people to Christ, friend, only if your life is full of Christ. It's that simple. Springfield is a blessing. We have a wonderful community here. We have, a, a, we have beautiful parks. We have beautiful opportunities. God has given us businesses and resources. You know, the joke, everybody that comes to Springfield says there's a church on every corner and a bank on every quarter. I don't know what, I don't know what that means, but that's something, I guess. But I tell you, for four and a half years, my wife and I, we were talking about it last night as we walked. We love this community. We feel blessed to be here. But don't you feel like Springfield could be even more beautiful than it is right now? Now, what I mean by that is Springfield will be made more beautiful when we're like Stephen And we are bringing the gospel with us as we go. How can we make Springfield? How can you make Springfield a more beautiful place? Well, first, give grace to everyone you meet. Let people see the grace of God that you received in salvation flowing through you. Secondly, receive the power of God to do the work of God. People need to see the power of God flowing through you. People need the wisdom of God that comes from the word of God. We don't need to hear what you're thinking lately. We need to hear what God's word said 2,000 years ago. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, friends. And for some Baptists, that scares you to death. That's all right. You need to be scared because the Holy Spirit is stronger than you. He'll knock you for a loop, and some of you need to be knocked for a loop. In the name of Jesus, that is. And finally, strive to be like an angel of God, reflecting his light. Oh, friends, Springfield will be a beautiful place and a more beautiful place with each soul we see surrender to Jesus. You see, salvation is... God leading his people toward beauty. You see, he's leading us toward beauty. That quote from Mark Mattis is so true. Salvation. Salvation is God leading his people toward beauty. 
We must, we must be a part of the beautification of Springfield. We must be a part of the work of God in this greater Springfield area and around the world. Spiritual beauty can only be seen through the prism of the cross. So hear me out. If we are going to change the world, then we must be a people who are exhibiting the beautiful love of Jesus and preaching the power of the cross. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of invitation for a few moments here. Prepare your heart as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And as we sit at table, let's prepare our hearts to be more beautiful, more beautiful for the sake of souls. Let us pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.